Excuse me, but are you loving this podcast? If you are, you can support the show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. All you have to do is hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We would like to start off our show by acknowledging the Yugambeh people, the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Excuse me, I have something to say. This is the podcast where we have real and open conversations with everyday people, professionals, and public figures who all have something to say. I'm your host, Sean Phillip Naylor, and you can join me every fortnight as we dig a little bit deeper into our shared human experience. You can join in on our conversations by heading over to the show's official pages and sending me a DM. You can share with me your own experiences, opinions, and feedback on the show over on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at excuse me underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook if you search Excuse Me I Have Something to Say or through our official website, excuse me I Have Something to Say.com. And don't forget that you can rate and leave a review of the show, which is going to help our conversations reach a wider audience. And remember to share, like, and subscribe so that you never have to miss a show. Oh my God, we're back again. (laughs) (laughs) Brothers, sisters, everybody saying, hi guys. Uh, It has been a hot minute since I have released an episode of Excuse Me, I Have Something to Say. But don't worry, because we are back. And what better way to come back than with a Halloween special for all of you. Halloween. <laughs> Halloween. So as many of you guys know, excuse me, has been on a little hiatus while I was off co-hosting a side project, another podcast called The Wind Up. Uh, with my lovely friend and excuse me, fan favorite guest, Miss Maya Crofone. And it was so much fun. And we had a blast bringing you the show. And in the wind up, we recapped every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under season two. Um, and it was it was much fun. Did you listen? I did. And I loved it. Oh, good. I Thank I you. Highly recommend to anyone who hasn't seen it. Go see it. 
Go see it and you can see it on this YouTube channel right here for Excuse Me, I Have Something to Say, soon to be Excuse Me Productions, or you can listen to the audio over on whichever is your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for staying with me while I took a short hiatus, but Excuse Me is back. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being patient and thanks for sticking with the show. We are coming back at you this week with the annual Halloween special and my very special dead guest over here next to me. Uh, Some of you may recognize her as, well... Will they recognize you? Will they recognize you? I don't know. With that laugh, they will. It's Rochelle Linquist. Hey. Thanks for coming on the show again and again and again and again, Shell. Thank you for having me on. I love being on Excuse Me. We always cover awesome topics. And I just, you know, it's always a big battle of laughs for me. Anyway. I mean, I enjoy myself. Now, you have been on a Halloween special before, the first one from season one, where you and I got dressed up and you were Chucky. I was. I'm all for just doing stitches as makeup. That's how I... <laughs> it's your Halloween. vibe. It's my vibe. <laughs> stitches and then new costume. Uh, and I was Shaun of the Dead. You were. Um, and it was all I could throw together after being on a very, very, very strong... Well, yeah, I was a... Bitch was coming down hard. Yeah, I mean that that um that recording though. There's demons in here. <laughs> it was funny because I was actually doing uh Oxober that year. So I was having a green juice, I remember, and you were just like, I am rough today. I'm so rough. And I was like, we're gonna get through it, it's gonna be okay. And yeah, I was like, I don't know what I drank, I don't know what I had, but Good time. That's what I had. A good time. So yes, welcome back to the show, show. Welcome back to the Gold Coast. Before we jump into this spectacular episode, uh, why don't you just give the listeners a little rundown what you've been up to since they last saw you on the show? Well, Jesus, last time I was on the show, I think we talked about body positivity. Yes. Uh, and I was calling in from Tassie where I had moved and I was living and that was a time. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't love Tassie. It wasn't the best for me, but, you know, back up here in Queensland now, moved back home, you know, not home to Queensland, but like the Gold Coast is new home. Uh, and yeah, that's been super duper fun. Just doing my thing, working. And I plan on bringing my podcast back at some point. My poor listeners. These poor soybeans. They've been left for dead. They are shriveled up at this point, my friend. Like I have just forgotten about my podcast. At some point, it'll be back. She's been busy moving, moving, moving states a couple of times a year. That's how she rolls. Um, so this time around, having you on the show, we are not talking about the history of Halloween, but we are talking about Halloween queens and queers, or queers and queens, depending on how you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a look a little bit about the queer history of Halloween and I guess the queer screen of Halloween. Yeah. I guess you could call it that. They're definitely screen queens that we can look at. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There are a lot of screen queens and screen queens and 
definitely many queers who've been involved in horror and in the rich history of science fiction and horror and fantasy and all that great stuff that ties up to make really good stories that make us jump and make us scared and make us question things. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, before we get into it, who are you dressed as? Who are you wearing? What, who was this piece of you? Who is this piece of you? Who is this piece? I mean, the many different pieces, I don't personally know them. I was constructed uh, from various, you know, corpses. Um, and uh, today I am giving us some very Bride of Frankenstein 1930s realness uh, in honour of one of the horror queens and queers that I'll be talking about in today's podcast. So very psyched to bring this one to everyone today. And I, as a true homosexual, have basically gone, I'm going to put hair extensions in and I want to wear something pretty. And can you make my face look pretty? Okay, thank you. And it's working for you. I'm loving this for you. I mean, I would say... You're the, giving like a Pan's Labyrinth kind of vibe. Yes, I was going to say I'm the Dark Prince, but I'll take mm, Pan's Labyrinth. Here's definitely. my eyes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a great Halloween costume if you just, <laughs> just aesthetic eyes. And then just draw like, them on. People are like, who are you? You're like, oh. Just draw them on in Sharpie. Like it's that. me. I like that. I- Let's take a minute before we go back to the podcast to just say, how amazing does this look? I have to say, Sean, I came over for Hocus Pocus screen. Ah, yes. Sisters. Sisters. Um, and that was fucking fabulous yes i'm starting a podcast and you did something similar where you did like all of this effort and setup and we've got he's a one-trick pony (laughs) i'm not gonna lie it's a lot of the same decorations okay i feel like it's time to step up your game a little bit they're not even mine these are my mother's (laughs) that's like yeah okay so i just think that you look amazing i think you've done such an effort with all of this where i'm feeling very spooky feeling spooky feeling tote spooks feeling spooky halloween (laughs) okay so halloween as we know it today has experienced many transformations uh over the years and is referred to by some as gay or i like to prefer queer christmas yes it's christmasy for the gays and the queers um i don't know if you know this but during my research when i hit my microphone um, during my research, I learned that the term gay Christmas, as it was originally coined before, I guess it was queer Christmas, uh, it was started during the 1950s and 60s in Philadelphia, where the LGBTQ community celebrated bitches Christmas, dressing up and partying in the gay bars, following drag queens from bar to bar, and essentially creating some of America's first ever queer Halloween parades. Oh, I love that. Did I you had know no this? idea. No. no, neither did I until about four o'clock yesterday oh, afternoon. Love it. Um, so that, yeah, that's really, I like that. And I do like to think of Halloween as queer Christmas because all of my queer identifying friends and people I've met all are naturally drawn to Halloween. Mm. It's It's definitely the holiday for those who are not necessarily accepted by society. It is. It's definitely, I think Halloween gives us the opportunity to come as you aren't, be whoever you want to be. And in a world where you're not accepted, 
the opportunity to be as outlandish, as outrageous, as colorful, as crazy, as intense as you want to be. It's it's just a wonderful gift, isn't it? I mean, you can't walk around dressed like I'm dressed today, every day. People I mean, you can. I've seen yeah. people. I've seen people dressed worse every day. No mentioning names, as I, I mean, don't know them. Yeah, that, that's true. But it's more acceptable. So it's the one night where you can throw off the shackles of what is considered your appropriate presentation for your gender, your social class, all of those sorts of things, and you can adopt whatever identity is going to make you feel best. You can be as extreme in that identity as you wish. So here's a question. I'm going, I'm going off script. I'm off going, script. going rogue. Off script. Um, so one of the things that I was looking at when I was researching this is some people identifying with Halloween and that art of dressing up in, in fancy dressing costume and presenting yourself as something you are not potentially could be something you might actually be. Mm-hmm. Um and I gotta say, over the years, 30, fuck, 37 of them that I've been alive now, I've known a lot of straight men who like to dress up as women like for Halloween. Very much a thing. Yeah. And I feel like it creates an acceptable and safe space for people, you know, who aren't within the queer community to explore a part of gender representation that's not open to them, that they don't feel like they can explore in day to day and people will applaud them for it. They'll find it fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with it when you do it that way. It's unfortunate that in our society, it needs to be an excuse. You need to have a qualifier to be able to explore your gender expression when it should just be something we're all open to explore. And even when those, I guess, mostly straight identifying men put on a dress, and they're probably having a great time. Mm-hmm. It's always laced and lined, I guess, with punch down comedy it to is, the females like, that they're dressing yes, up as. Yes. There's definitely, I think, a misogynistic streak in some of that type of dress up that you see at Halloween with straight men doing women and doing like, you know, I'm dressed as a girl for this. Oh, isn't it funny? And it as well, it's kind of a punch down towards queer people, trans people drag queens because to them it's funny that a man would be in a dress but it's still something they want to explore and you know that is a little bit sad as well and I do think that there is that slightly touchy element to this that you do have to acknowledge within Halloween dress up when you see people you know playing with gender and we see a lot of gender swap costumes too which is interesting as well Mm. so people going I'm going to go as Chucky but as a girl or I'm going to go as you know, Freddy Krueger, but like as a girl, or I'm going to go as the little mermaid, but as a guy. as a guy. Yeah. So you see a lot of those sorts of things. And I think as long as you're doing it in the right spirit and you're not using it as like a way to sort of go, isn't it hilarious because dude in a dress, um, then I think that it's fine and it's a great way for you to explore that. Um, but yeah, I do think that we do have to, I guess, just make note of that particular instance, that, mm. that current of misogyny, that current of punching down that happens within those costumes. Yeah, it does. It does happen. And like, dude, if you want to wear a dress, just wear a dress. Yeah, like, it's down. okay. Calm We're here for that. Chad. We it's love fun. you, Chad. Look, we know that you were dressing up as a girl and being made fun of at like, you know, your school, your private boys school where you went or whatever. Just calm down. Okay. It's not a big deal. If you want to wear a dress, just wear a dress. 
In fact, wear a dress and continue to be a straight man if that's what you want. Clothes shouldn't have genders. I mean, we could we could go real <laughs> off topic. We could go real off topic. I'm just going to say that pink Let's was never pink was never for girls. It was it used to always be for boys, and blue was for girls. So mm. high heels were for men. Tom Cruise, how are you? <laughs> okay, so uh, Rochelle, what does Halloween represent or mean to you personally? I mean, for me, I've always loved. Not just Halloween, but horror movies, anything spooky, anything supernatural, anything along those lines has always been of interest to me. And I think that this is a really common thread for a lot of people within the queer community, um, like myself, because I, I'm I'm pansexual and I'm also genderqueer. So, you know, I don't consider myself a woman. I consider myself a person and I like to play with that, you know, kind of representation and stuff. And I think that it's very, very common for people in the queer community to identify with Halloween, with spooky things, with horror, because I think that we are more comfortable in being uncomfortable. We're more used to that experience of feeling discomfort and we're better able to handle it. I also think that all of those kind of horror stories, they speak to this lack of acceptance by society, fears from society. And that's an experience that we all know and we can talk to as well. So they speak to us. And often the monsters are quite misunderstood. If you take Frankenstein, for example, he's created against his will. When he does come to life, he doesn't want to hurt people. It happens by accident. He's not understood. He's scary looking. And he gets chased by the villagers with pitchforks. And, I mean, that was an experience that queer people had. I was just about to say, what queer person yeah. hasn't had something relating to that? Exactly. Well, what are your feelings about how Halloween and horror as a genre resonate with the queer community? Because it's clearly a thing, like, you talk to so many other queers, you know, queer men, queer women, uh, queer non-binary people, just, like, people in the community love horror. They love Halloween, you know, and it's just a thread that you find within it. I mean, almost everyone I've spoken to who is queer was so excited that I was going to the Hocus Pocus screening. It's such a weird little, like, I don't know, indicator within, like, it's queer coding almost in yeah. a community. It's like, it's coded queer. If you love Halloween, you just know that they might be queer. That's true. So, yeah, I think, like, for me as a little queer person, not really knowing that I was queer at the time, I just liked... I don't know. I guess you kind of resonate with particularly the the creatures people have created. So, you know, we'll get on to the the monsters of it all, but like vampires are hot. Yes. Like come at me, bro. Exactly. You yeah. know? Um so like there was a little queer me that was very much like I guess drawn to the fact that these were people living on the outside and not really fitting into society or feeling internally that you didn't really fit into society the way that, you know, straight siblings might have or your straight friends might have. There was something that sort of just drew me to the characters in queer horror in particular. And for me as well, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast that I've always been really drawn to strong females, particularly females in horror. So um, I guess my every gay boy's 
example from like the late nineties, early two thousands was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Like, hello, Queen. Mm. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar did a great job, and Christy Swanson. Yeah. Look at that. Pulled that from ooh, somewhere. Um, she did. <laughs> just, keep, just keep it here. Here she is, guys. It's Christy Swanson. Um, <laughs> well, she hasn't been up to much. Where have you been? Oh, I don't know. I always wonder when these things happen. I'm like, did I she get like, cancelled? I think she did. I think she was like, um, like a maybe a hard right, weird Trump supporter. But I could be wrong. About allegedly. That. Allegedly. We know about allegedly. We'll we'll look into the it. The police are looking into it. <laughs> Oh allegedly don't start with me girl all right um so but yeah i think a very young sean identified with the the horror tropes and the characters and the, particularly the creatures and just not fitting in not you know you, you're a little left to center no one wants that except when you get older you realize it's the best way to be it really is we got off topic we're circling back landing here and so rochelle let's talk about queer horror on the big and small screen okay well the first person that i wanted to bring up and it is the inspiration for today's look okay um is mary shelley who mary shelley i know you're shelley She's a Mary Shelley over here. I am quite Mary at the moment, and I am Shelley. But Mary Shelley is the author of Frankenstein. So she was only 18 when she wrote, like she first came up with the idea and she told the story. And the way that the whole evening unfolded was that she and her partner, Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron, his lover, and um another dude i think it was ding, John. Ding, ding. Oh, oh, i was gonna say thruple a lot but that's not a thruple it, it, no no that they went she wasn't with the other guy but there was a thruple like going on so before we jump into how she wrote you know frankenstein which is amazing i think a lot of people do know that about her a lot of people don't realize that she is a queer icon because she was in this relationship with percy shelley who was also in a relationship with lord byron so they believed in free love. She was actually raised in a very non-traditional kind of household anyway. Her mother had been this raging feminist who had written this, you know, treatise about what rights women should have before she passed away. And her father was also like a free thinker and a lot of people consider him to be kind of the father of the um, anarchist movement and, you know, the kind of like utilitarian movement. Uh, so very interesting kind of collecting collection of parents that she had there. Her mother passed away only a few days after she's born and terribly because back then they didn't really know how to like appropriately care for women after birth. So they didn't realize that germs were a real thing. And her doctor stuck his hand up in her to pull out the placenta and he gave her an infection. She passed away from the infection. Uh, trigger warning. Yeah. Trigger warning about that. My bad. <laughs> Shocked. I know. It's terrible, isn't it? What's amazing about Mary Shelley is that she's kind of the queen of goths as well. Mm-hmm. So she's this like weird, gothy little girl, free thinking father, obsessed with a little bit of that over here, obsessed with, um, you know, like death and working through all those ideas. She used to go and read on her mother's grave and journal there. She apparently lost her virginity to Percy Shelley <gasps> on her mother's yes, grave. Yes, I heard this. Which is amazing. I was into Love that. Love that for you, Mary. 
Um, and then, you know, they end up together. I mean, their relationship's not perfect. When she runs away with him at 16, uh, she takes her stepsister with her. And I think Percy Shelley and the stepsister had a fling too complicated situation. Keep it in the family, y'all. I mean, this is polyamory at its earliest times, really, isn't it? Like if Alison's don't know what polyamory is, it's relationships where you can have multiple other relationships with people. And most often people see it in throuples, which is why that's constantly mentioned when it comes to Mary Shelley and Percy and Lord Byron, because it was well known that Percy Shelley and Lord Byron were bisexual and had a fling. And so they would all kind of like hang out together. They were all friends. It was later suggested that she was also bisexual, Mary Shelley, because she had uh, these kind of ongoing long friendships with women after Percy Shelley passed away. By the way, interesting side note, she kept his calcified heart wrapped in one of his palms in her desk. Go once, but it go once. Dark as. <laughs> and I love it. I fucking love it. So anyway, she's like only 16 when she runs away with him. And his first wife actually committed suicide. It's really sad. Why are you laughing? <laughs> because he's not a good dude. Like, I mean, I get the attraction and everything, but that's not a good person. I don't think the first wife was. Okay it's not a good Percy. That's a bad Percy. But I don't think the first wife was really okay with like the approach that he had to relationships and right. Shelley was. So anyway, they run off together when she's 18, only 18. She comes up with the idea for Frankenstein and she's on this holiday in Geneva with Percy Shelley and with Lord Byron and with this other dude. I think his name is John Polidori. And also I think her sister Claire was there. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of that. Okay. They're just like these names, long names like that. And her sister Claire. Claire's here. Claire's hey Claire. Claire. Has anyone seen Claire? Yeah, she's at the bar. She's, yeah, she's handling things. So I, at that same getaway, they were all kind of like, they all said to each other, come up with an idea, you know, a scary story and then tell each other the stories. She came up with Frankenstein. And I think it was the other guy, the John Polidari guy, that came up with a version of Vampire Tale that ended up being remarkably similar to Bram Stoker's future Dracula, mm. which is really interesting, but obviously was not kind of like, Dracula because Bram Stoker wrote that but yeah she comes up with that and it's not published until two years later when she's 20 and that's in 1818 and it gets published anonymously because she's afraid that people won't let her you know write horror write science fiction because she has a vagina exactly because you know she was a woman at that time and she was actually scared they were going to take her children away if she did that she actually had a terrible kind of period with children so she got pregnant, gave birth, lost a child, got pregnant, had another one. But out of the five children she had, four of them passed away quite early on. And it's very, very sad, but it really bleeds into how she wrote Frankenstein. And Frankenstein itself is a story of not being accepted. It's a story of a man creating life, which is, you know, not a biological, you like, ability. Back then it was sort of talking to, in a way, this man creating for himself a life that was outside of the norm, a life where he was able to experience that feminine, you know, ability to create life on his own. And yeah, obviously you've got to get pregnant if you're a woman, but all of those things were picked up on. And a lot of people continue to talk about, obviously Frankenstein has been a play. It's been movies. It's been used as inspiration for things. It's had sequels. It really has. And Bride of Frankenstein 
the sequel that I've done my hair from and done the whole look from. She's a vibe. It's it's amazing because when you go back and watch that movie, when she is brought to life, there's a queer reading in how she responds to the monster because um, obviously Frankenstein is the, like Victor Frankenstein it was originally, but in the movie it's Henry. He's actually the creator. He's the scientist. And the monster is only ever referred to, you know, as the monster, the creation. Um, and he creates the bride for the monster because the monster is sad and it wants companionship. Yeah. And wants to help, you know, Don't worry, dude. It. I'll make your girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. And when she's brought to life, she takes one look at him and she's just like, bitch, I'm out. I'm just not. I'm not doing that. And in she, that, she noped herself out of that she, situation. Like, nope. Nope. She was like, nope. No, I'm no. Not. And that's so interesting because I always read that as her being queer, her being like a lesbian and being like, fuck no. I am not touching the man. I'm not into men, monsters. See, it's funny because I never really thought of it like that. I was watching a documentary recently and I was, was very much like, totally see that. Um, I just thought it was very much like. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. All the women independent. You know what I mean? Like it was for me not being a woman and not really looking at it through the scope of fuck this fucker here's just like created a woman and has given it to this man and been like, here you go, this is your bride now. I saw it more of through the lens of um yeah, just like, no, you're not for me. Thank you. I will choose my own path, well, which is so both. A, and she's, yeah. you know, agency. She has agency. She's created. And once she has life that's her own, she has agency. She chooses to not be involved. The horrifying thing about the end of that movie is that the monster goes, we belong dead. And then he kills himself, her, and one the other guy. Scientists. Yeah. And Sai, the science guy. Sai, <laughs> the science guy. But yeah, that's like kind of a fucked up situation. So Mary Shelley is interesting as like a queer, you know, uh, character from horror and also as like the mother of horror science fiction. This is well before Dracula. It's well, well she, before any of these things. 
essentially created that horror science fiction. She really did, yeah, because it didn't exist as a genre prior to that. And there's so much in how it was written that relates to her life story and, you know, stories of the other and being outside of society. And it's a really interesting, you know, it's an interesting piece to look at and compare and read it from that queer lens, read it from that queer coding. Even as well, like seeing it from just a female perspective too. So like I have a lot of friends who are female who are into horror and it's amazing how many of them without prompt or without research already know so much about Mary Shelley. Yes. Like she is an icon to people who you don't think she's an icon to. Like people are loving her. And she is, and I think it's because we find out about her and we're like, holy shit, that's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool that this genre that's that everybody's so obsessed with and this multi-billion dollar industry mm-hmm. uh, was founded and created by this one woman, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, so sad too because I don't think she really got much kudos for it in her lifetime and I don't think that she was really well respected for what she did overall. I think she deserved more, you know, respect for that, more kudos. But she passed away like at 52 or something. You know, it was like a really sad situation. And she lost most of her babies. Sad for Mary. But yeah, um, I think you have a couple of fantastic people who are around the same vintage to talk about as well. Um, yes. I feel like I've let everyone down and I haven't done as deep a dive as you I have on Mary Shelley. <laughs> because I am interested in her. So I just she's she is so interesting. Um, one of the people that I wanted to, one of the, the Halloween queers that I wanted to talk about was, um, Bram Stoker. So y'all might know this guy from, uh, movies like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, he was so great in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You're fine. You're fine. Oh, she's topping me. She's topping me, guys. Up, topping me up. Get your minds out of the gutter. Okay, you definitely come to someone like me to top you. I mean, look at this hair. I know how to top. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bram Stoker, I, to be honest, I think I'm more fascinated with... the things he created in terms of like the story Dracula was like, this is going to be so ridiculously stupid. But when I was little, one of my favorite movies was Dracula dead and loving it. I know me too. <laughs> That's because it's camp is all hell. Oh, it's so camp. But when you Love actually it. look at Dracula, it is very camp. Yes. Yeah. Um, like it's very homoerotic. Because oh, the original 100%. story is like Dracula. And then, you know, there's two men that come to visit him and they're the focus, not the women. The women are part of the side story. The, the women are like men. in there getting getting off with the men and Dracula's in there. He's like, get off, he's mine. Yeah, he is mine. It's just very homoerotic. I know, and I love that. And I think that that's one of the things that sort of makes Bram Stoker a little bit more exciting to kind of figure out where does that come from? So correct me if I'm wrong, because you're my resident historian and uh, horror expert, but he had 
some sort of fascination. Oh, demons are here. Um, he had some sort of fascination with Oscar Wilde. Mm. Um, and Oscar Wilde, very queer, mm-hmm. very known. Like that wasn't really much of a secret. Um, but yeah, there was just, and he was hot, by the way, yes. Bram Stoker, like okay. that bearded. He was a bearded, lovely. Daddy. daddy. Hello, daddy. Oh, I'm good daddy. <laughs> um, but I think for me, like looking at people like that, it's about finding out into the, I guess, their headspace that they could have gone to to create such characters that represent queerness, particularly for me as a gay man, that gay subtext in, in horror. Um, like where does that come from? He, so Bram Stoker. He had a fascination with Walt Whitman and he would write him letters. And Walt Whitman was out and queer. Yes. Yeah. So that was rare at that time because it was still illegal to be gay. It was illegal to be gay somewhere in Australia up until like the 90s. 90s. Yeah. Good work See why she left? Screw yeah. you, Tasmania. Not a fan. And you, you can marry your siblings but you can't be a homosexual also that's not true allegedly allegedly um but yes so he was had this this fascination with Walt Whitman and a very emotional sort of connection that he had with Walt Whitman and he would write him letters and it was just like very very gay and I think that that definitely comes out in his work but then he basically went, no, not gay, don't worry about that. Yeah, it seems as though because Oscar Wilde was a friend of his. Yes. They were contemporaries. And after after Oscar Wilde is actually charged for buggery, which is what they used to call, you know, in the English courts. I used crime. to love it when I was little and my nana, my great-grandma, used to go, oh, bugger. Ooh, and then she'd correct herself and be like, no, sorry, I didn't say that. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know Nana Nancy? Nancy. It was, all, it was all written there. She knew I was going to be homo. She knew it. She knew it the whole time. Um, but after he was convicted is when Bram Stoker has this sudden turnaround, this change of heart, where he is aggressively homophobic. He's aggressively anti, you know, anti-gay, anti all that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> people kind of review and look at Dracula as these kind of two parallels. There's obviously a lot of homoerotic stuff in there. But it seems that one of the intentions of the writing, one of the things that he goes after is this kind of tale of like, if you give in to the dark desires, because you've got Jonathan Harker being wooed by Dracula. Wooed. Yeah. And he has to resist the pull that he feels towards Dracula. And, you know, if he does that, then he's more pure of heart. He's like going to be a better man. He's, continues to be our protagonist when you don't resist it you become the shriveling sad pathetic uh Renfield who was the man who was there before Harker who becomes Dracula's servant and it's this you know kind of quite despicable reading of it but I think that that's so much of that is coming from this very kind of like um self-hating like you know yeah it's that typical you know, the, the toxic masculinity of the day of being like, I'm a man, Dracula's a homo, this guy's like a cock worshipper for Dracula and where am I going to land? Mm. I well, want to be. Dracula's like a pansexual king. 
Well, this is like he's fucking everything and eating everything. He is, yeah. If you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like smothered in that toxic masculinity of like you say, if you don't go down that path and don't taste the forbidden fruit, let me tell you, it's a banana or an eggplant. Um, but if you don't taste the forbidden fruit, then you're going to be purer. You're going to be all of these things. You're going to be better. And then you're not going to be like old Renfield over here. Who's like pathetic, sniveling, pathetic little cum dump. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that either. If that's what he wants to be, that's him. I mean, don't kink shame Renfield. No, he loves it. Everybody loves a bit of master slave play. Obviously. Welcome to Excuse Me After Dark. (laughs) (laughs) Why does it always go in this direction with you and I? It does with me and Maya too. I've got to stop having you guys on the show. really (laughs) do. I do want to touch briefly on a couple of... um, let's call them movie monsters and just talk about the, I guess the queer coding that is in them as a race, as a genre, as the mythology. Um, And I wanted to start with, you know what, let's start with vampires because we're on vampires right now. Yeah. Gay as hell. Gay as hell. Who does not want a immortal man or woman or someone in between Sucking on your neck. I mean, I'm here for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very, very gay. Um, Also always portrayed as somewhat gay. I don't want anyone to suck on my neck. You don't want that? Never. I don't want it to stop. Never. (laughs) I'm just going to sit here. (laughs) He's exposing his neck cleavage. Yeah. yeah, it, it is gay as hell. And it's gay as hell in every which direction. There is a pansexuality to vampires. They bite women. They bite men. They bite everyone. And they blood is so everyone. taboo. It is. And the weird virginity angle that's tied in with a lot of vampire mythology as well. You can read so much into the puritanical kind of culture that came over to America, how most of pop culture was shaped by early American cinema and stories and their approach and how they definitely prioritize, you know, virginity, purity, like this whole concept. And virginity is just a construct, as we all know. It's not real. Um, And it's just interesting to look at that as well because if vampires are pansexuality, queerness, you know, being gay, being a lesbian, being all those things, and then they're victims and the most, you know, pure ones and the most righteous ones and the heroes of that story are virgins, straight virgins. There's just so much in that. That's a big messed up mouthful right there. So, yeah, vampires are pretty gay. And um, I guess the other thing I wanted to, another one I wanted to bring up was Frankenstein's monster, but the trans aspect of it. Yes, that's an interesting one to mm. discuss. So, yes. <laughs> the so, wine's kicking in. Um, so, yeah, Frankenstein's monster being something that was, I guess, created with science mm. and trans people. I like to tread carefully here because I don't want to offend or upset anybody or come across and as being terrible. Us falls under that umbrella. No. Um, being non-binary for me is not the same as being trans because, yeah. you know, I still identify 
somewhat with the gender that I was assigned. So, and yeah. I'm just a cisgendered homo, but um, we do love our trans community. But yeah, there was this this whole aspect where trans people can relate to the monster, and I hate calling the monster when we're talking about this because the the creature, the creature, the creature, creation. We'll go with the with the creation. Yeah. Um, because it was created by science and trans people nowadays can access certain science to create the parts of them, the parts of themselves that they haven't been able to fully explore and, and to be, to to be yeah. who they are inside, yeah. to get the outsides to match the inside. Exactly. Which is not something that was um, available to many people, you know, that early on and that wasn't something even that was an opportunity to explore that it's interesting because mary shelley actually helped two friends two queer women friends escape with fake passports to a different country and live together she got them the passports one of them lived as a man and they lived as man and wife Uh. so really interesting very progressive lady but yeah, um, I think that's a really interesting read and I think there's definitely an application for that and I can see how it would be something that appeals, you know, to trans people. It's part of a story they can identify mm-hmm. with. And I think that, unfortunately, in horror, while we see a lot of exploration of queer culture, there's a lot of demonization of queer culture as well. And you can see that in things like in... Um, in Psycho, let's, you know, go back to near to the start of this. In Psycho, Anthony Perkins' character dresses up as his mother and sees himself as his mother when he's murdering people. And they made what was, you know, something between cross-dressing and it wasn't transgender. Mm-hmm. But it was like it was cross-dressing, it was femme-presenting. They made that and that queer reading of it this kind of scary thing they yeah. made it this you know evil thing it was part of what made him evil and bad as well, what do we do with things we don't understand yeah we or things we're not them. really willing to truly understand and then you see that again in science of the land mm-hmm. you know with uh buffalo bill yeah and that kind of stuff it it is very harmful to the community but you can understand as well why there is such a kind of like draw for the queer community when you see such a variety of representation and now we're starting to see more queer characters who are not being killed off in the horror movie they're not the bad guy i mean to throw a couple out you've got like the new kid in chucky in the series Mm -hmm. who's just gay and it's not a big part of the series it's just a part of his character but it's not like oh my god it's the only thing about your character you know and we need to see more of that in the newest screen the kind of recall that they did um, you've got a couple of queer characters there as well. And it's nice to see that happening. A hundred percent. Now, vampires are gay. Frankenstein's monster is an interesting, uh, interesting read. What about werewolves? Werewolves are interesting because they're sort of, they're not able to control a part of themselves, which again is a very negative reading on your queer aspect of your identity. Um, but you can definitely see a reading of that. There's also a transformation that happens and you can find queer readings in that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, my last and my favourite one. Which is, you I know, those old dykes that live in the wood and kill children. Yeah, basically. 
basically, right? And honestly, like identification with a cult and with witchcraft so common and so strong in like the lesbian and queer communities, just like such a big thing, hey. I don't think I've ever met a gay chick who doesn't like crystals and tarot cards. I just don't think it's ever happened. Like they all love them. They do. And I remember being a young queer person trying to find, figure out my identity and being ridiculously obsessed with movies like The Craft and that yes. sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I, did I play light as a feather, stiff as a board? 100%. Of course I did. I did I want now. to be? Like, all right, let's, let's move let's all go, of girl. this. Let's go. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely something about the, the witches, I think, which really resonates with the queer community across the board. Mm, absolutely. Demon. Demon. Demon child. Demon um, child. I think with witchcraft as well, there's a strong association with sisterhood, with locking men out of the experience. Like it's just, you know, women together. And I'm not saying that like queer men can identify with it because they obviously do as well. But it's being outside of the norm and it's embracing divine feminine power, dark feminine power. And, you know, covens sound like the gayest thing to me. Sounds like a bunch of lesbians getting together and enjoying themselves. I think a little bit of that happens too. But, I mean, I'm not trying to Sister? What I'm just saying is that there's elements of that to it. Yeah. And I think that's why we identify with it. That's why we're like, oh, I get it. I get that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be around like-minded people who are different from the norm and who get what I get and they have the same want that I have, you know, for agency and for power because we are a dis, you know, empowered group mm-hmm. overall. What are some Halloween must watch movies or shows for you and some must traditions that you do every year? I love that. Um, so I always enjoyed carving a pumpkin. Wasn't something that we did in Australia until quite recently. Um, but there are actually uh, specifically a lot of farmers who are in the northern part of Queensland a lot of Indigenous and First Nation farmers who are doing the Halloween pumpkins as, like, their main crop. I feel like I haven't seen any in the shops this year. They are in the shops. They are? They're there now? I better go get one. And I keep thinking about buying one, but it's a little bit early because (sighs) if I buy it now, it won't still be good in a few But they go really quick. That's the problem. Yeah. So I think carving a pumpkin has become a tradition for me. Um... I always love to watch, like, leading up to Halloween, I will watch all Halloween-themed episodes of things because it's so fun. So Treehouse of Horror is definitely going on. Buffy-themed episodes are going on, like Buffy Halloween ones. Um, was Hush a Halloween episode? Because that no, is Hush my scariest it. episode. Like, it's I will watch that episode. at Halloween. The same season did have a Halloween-themed episode, Fear Itself. So they go into... The frat house. Oh, with Anya is the bunny. Yeah, yeah. And then they get up to the top, and then the actual demons like this. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like such a great. (laughs) But um, I'm here for all of those Halloween themed things because I think they're a heap of fun. I always watch Halloween, and you know I like to watch some of the Friday the Thirteenth and some of the Nightmares because I feel like Mm -hmm, classic mm slashes are good. I like to watch histories of Halloween and documentaries about Halloween coming up to Halloween time because I just enjoy them. Traditions-wise, I like to, you know, I like to dress up. I love to have a party. When I was younger, I used to go to a lot. I'm having a party this year and I'm so excited about it. 
I'm going. I'm it's going. Be so much fun. I'm going to the party. This I got to invite her. This so. is not going to be my costume. No, Wait until you see what Benny and I are coming in. Ooh, have you picked? <laughs> yeah, it's oh good. God, is sorry. it a couple's costume? It might be. Oh my god, I'm so jelly. Daniel's doing couple's costume with me. Yeah, Demi. Um, I know what a joke. Honestly, I kind of wish that we had kids trick-or-treating in our, like, apartment block. I doubt there will be because I have bought a ton of, like, candies for giving away. Candies! Like, We'll just haul ass. We'll move your party to my mum's house because she gets so many trick-or-treaters every year. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, I mean, all of those things, like, all of your theme stuff, some of your classic movies, I think all of that helps get you in the mood. Um, and tradition-wise, having a pumpkin, dressing up, having at least one party, doing a little house decoration, mm-hmm. um, all of those things are good fun. Yeah, so a bit of that. What about you? What do you do? Um, so this year's been a big year already for Halloween because every year, without fail, I watch Hocus Pocus at least once. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had Hocus Pocus 2 come out, Hocus Pocus 2. We did the screening here at my house. So much fun. Um, Love that there is a new Hocus Pocus in the world. So that will now become another Halloween tradition. Um, carving a pumpkin, something I love. I try to get this my stepkids involved in Halloween where I can because it's not necessarily a holiday that they have been brought up experiencing. And it's one that I remember from being a little kid, mum taking me out trick-or-treating and a girl from school when I was in primary school came over and mum was like using flour and water and things to create fake prosthetic witchy noses on That's all the so kids. Cool. So Halloween's always a big thing for, oh, yeah. for us. So your mum sounds so awesome. And oh I my God, she's so cool. Friend. You can be her friend. Yeah, I'd like to be her friend. So she's so cool. And then just to top off the Halloween things, uh, this didn't actually happen, but my sister's due date when she was having her baby was Halloween. He came that. late. Thank you very much, Adam. Um, but he was supposed to be a Halloween baby. So Halloween's just like, I live for it. I live for it. I'm so excited to do lots of Halloween things, but yeah, carving a pumpkin, got to do that. Although people are saying this year, carve a pineapple. Oh yeah. Why a pineapple? I don't know. Okay. Um, it's to do with the people who grow the pineapples here in Queensland. I think they have crops that they can't get rid of and the crops are going to be ruined. So they're saying carve a pineapple instead of, or as well. Let's do both then. Let's we do, can both. do it all. We can do it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's it. That's 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 our little Halloween special. Oh, Just and queers and Halloween and queens. Love it. Yes, Love that it. that is that has been the first episode back of Excuse Me. It's been quite a break. I've been very busy, so I'm very sorry. Um, but there will be a few more episodes to come to wrap up season three of excuse me don't forget that miss rochelle lindquist here will be coming back at some point sometime in the next foreseeable future whatever that looks like with her podcast may contain traces of soy which is amazing and you guys should go listen to it uh anybody who is interested um or curious about a vegan low waste lifestyle this is the bitch for you this bitch right here. this bitch i love that for you me too. <laughs> um, but that has been it. Thank you so much, Shell, for coming back on the show. 
And don't forget, people, if you want to follow this wonderful, wacky creature over here, where can they follow you, Rochelle? You guys can find me on Instagram. You can find my personal account at Suddenly Shelly, like Suddenly Seymour from Little Shop of Horror. Of course it is. Um, and you can also find the uh, podcast account, which is at Make Tame Traces of Soy. You can find the podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We're going to drop links in the show notes. Uh, I have got a YouTube channel where I've done a couple of things too. Although I really left that. Like I started it and then I ignored it, like I do with so many of my projects. Um, and yeah, you can also go follow my professional account, which is at Rochelle Hope Creator. I don't even know anymore. Um, we'll drop the links. Let's just do that. We'll drop all the links. And thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for sticking with me while I was on my break and doing the wind up. Don't forget that you can follow the wind up on Instagram at the wind up underscore pod and you can follow this podcast on instagram as well at excuse me underscore pod excuse me productions will be coming at you very soon with more content and thanks for tuning in it's been swell but the swelling's gone down not so horny anymore okay it's been fun guys bye bye 